0: thank you for listening to the words and nerds podcast the podcast has had over 1 million plays and that's all thanks to you for the holidays i bring you the best of series for 2023 the most listened to and loved episodes if you enjoy the podcast you can review it on itunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts or drop me a line on social media this episode is brought to you by gin and co author website design specialists if you want a beautiful and functional website to promote your books and brand, reach out to Jin today. His work includes tailored, expertly designed professional author websites. I finally have a website I'm proud to share. And we've got a special offer for Words and Nerds listeners. Reach out today and get a free domain name and website hosting for the first year. You can get their website essentials package includes domain name, website hosting, backup and security free for the first year with any website purchase. This is valued at $330 a year. Choose a website designed to bring your author brand to life. You can find more details about this special offer at ginand.co forward slash wordsandnerds.
1: Queer Rights Sessions, QWS podcast, in partnership with Blarney Books and Art and Port Ferry. I'm your host, Rob, a.k.a. RWR MacDonald, and this is a Words and Nerds spinoff series. Thanks, Danny. I'm coming to you from the land of the Wurundjeri people. And I'd like to pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Each month, QWS podcast will bring you reviews, shout outs of LGBTIQA writers and feature an interview with a queer writer from our rainbow communities. And now on with the show. Stuart Barnes is a poet from Hobart. His first book, Glass Houses, won the 2015 Arts Queensland Thomas Shapecott Poetry Prize, was commended for the 2016 Anne Alder Award and shortlisted for the 2017 Mary Gilmore. Cerebus Watches Eros was nominated for the 2020 Pushcart Prize. Offworld Garzel was shortlisted for the 2020 Montreal International Poetry Prize and Sestina after B. Carlyle won the 2021-22 Gwen Harwood Poetry Prize. Welcome to the show, Stu. Thank you, Rob. Thank you very much for having me. Now, uh, on our show, we always have the same opening question, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, how has your work influenced your identity? Okay. I think my work and my identity
2: uh, are inseparable and they feed into each other. When I talk about my identity, I, I think back to childhood. The first thing I think of is um, actually of my parents who were voracious readers and still are. I was very young when I started reading. At five, I realized that I wanted to be a writer. When I was 11, Australian poet Gwen Harwood befriended me at church. And uh, when she asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I said, I, I, w- I want to be a writer. And she said, "You're going to be a poet," and uh, I had no idea what that I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, it resonated, and I think I might have started identifying as a poet at that moment. Wow. E- every week after church, Gwen would give me a book of poetry from the church's op shop to take home. Uh, so I was engaging with poetry at quite a young age, and also writing things that weren't poems, but they were. They were pieces that, uh, you know, they weren't written as prose, mm. line breaks and, and slivers of, of, um, of text, uh, on pages. And I, I was sort of making my own books. And not long after that, I wrote a novella over a, a one, one, summer holiday. So yeah, so this, this idea of, of the relationship between identity and, and, and work was sort of there for, I wouldn't say from the beginning, although perhaps it was, but certainly from a very, uh, early age. Now, looking back, I realise how powerful it is deciding what and or who you are um, in terms of not only your identity, but your work and knowing and doing what you want to do. Regarding sexuality, I identify as mostly gay, sometimes queer. Over the years, uh, experiences of homophobia and sexual violence and Shame about both have had an impact on my identity and my work. It's taken me a very long time to identify proudly and loudly as a gay slash queer man, despite having actually uh, come out or been outed at at 17, you know, and, and for many years, people have known that I am gay, but to actually be able to sort of publicly identify as a even privately identify as a gay man as well and be comfortable and and just to sort of sit with that. So it's also taken me a very long time to publish poems around those topics, around uh, identity and sexual violence. And for decades, I actually resisted identifying as gay slash queer poet Stuart Barnes. And it might sound a little silly, but at at some moments sort of, I mean, I appreciate every event I've been a part of over the years at festivals, but found that I was sometimes only asked on to... Queer only events and, uh, my, my issue at those times wasn't with the events. I, I realized it was with my discomfort at, I suppose, the label or at my not wanting to identify or be identified as, as a gay and or queer poet. I just wanted to be poet Stuart Barnes or yeah. simply Stuart Barnes. Regarding work on identity further, I think my earlier work was was quite opaque and my later work is quite transparent. I think that's because I've, uh, been able to process trauma and because I'm, uh, I'm a happier person and, and also because I uh, feel that there's no sort of secrecy anymore around my identity. So therefore there doesn't need to be any secrecy in any expression in my work. So they're, they're always feeding into each other, work and identity. Um, some people in Oslo and even some people in my own family don't approve of some of the things I write about, but many people inspire me, including poet Natalie Harkin, who says, "Speak loud, speak unsettling things, and be dangerous." And I, I love that quote, and uh, everyone should read Natalie's work. She's absolutely brilliant and a wonderful human being, too. It's interesting, you know and important for me to point out that you know my di experiences I've had example of homophobia and sexual violence writing about them thinking about them meditating on them it's enabled me to cultivate the grit that i've needed to not only be a human being but also to be able to write more about those experiences and and create poems about those experiences as opposed to simply you know Uh, journal entries which you know I I have done over the years but I've wanted to kind of craft something around those experiences and to try to write beautifully about those experiences Mm. and and try to try to connect with others through those experiences perhaps the last thing I'd like to say about work and identity is is actually uh it's a snippet of um what the American poet Kim Adonizio has said about the creative process and she says if you nurture it it will expand and it will nurture you in return. It is a kind of salvation. If you can truly tap into the creative process, you know, it's there all the time and then you probably don't need saving.
1: That's brilliant.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, um, Kim's encapsulated <laughs> really, I could have just used that quote to respond <laughs> to, you, <laughs> to your question.
1: No, not at all.
2: But I, but I think it's, uh, I think it's a wonderful way of looking at the interaction or that inseparableness of uh of identity and work
1: thank you so much and uh we were talking before we hit record and yeah i just want to reiterate um thank you for for sharing your stories uh you know and and the poems are beautiful thank you rob yeah they really really are and i think they need to be out there in the world one thousand percent and it is something, um, particularly with gay men, that isn't really spoken about much and what you're doing is really important and it means a lot to survivors out there. So thank you very much. Thank you. Now, I am going to introduce your new poetry collection, Like to the Lark. Uh, so I'm going to read the blur. So buckle in. Right. <laughs> like to the Lark is Stuart Barnes' poetic, back to mine. An accumulation of lifetime fascinations with music and sound, form and transformation, beginning with an apparition of a doomed world brooding over itself and ending with a caviling glow. This long-awaited second collection from the winner of the 2015 Arts Queensland Thomas Shepcott Poetry Prize plunges, what a plunge, what a lark into seas, scoots across countries, and hurdles towards space. Guzzle shape-shifts into pantom, duplex, sonnet, sestina, terminal, and more, plus two new forms invented by Barnes, terse set and flashbang. As influenced by popular culture as they are by classical mythology, these poems by turns playful, serious, tender, bold, surprising, and witty are fearless in their explorations of rape, illness, death, remembrance, ecology, love, and joy. While fog and grief preen over a sero-discordant gay couple, a phoenix-like royal panacea declares, my breath is rooted in kindness, forged from and framed by conversations with Nick Drake, Gwen Harwood, Sylvia Plath, Shakespeare, Robert Smith, and others. Barnes' poems sparkle with vivid lyricism and wild inventiveness and summon great care for the way they tend and transmute trauma and illuminate the resilience of human and non-human. So congratulations, to you on your collection. Uh, Thank you, Rob. For me, I think it's definitely a book for life, being able to dip in and out and discover uh, new poems that resonate at a time... And place in your life and that is incredibly special I think and I was hoping for our listeners that we could start off with a reading from one of your poems from Light. Thanks I'd love to. Uh, so
2: um, this poem is it's an accumulation of experiences of the grinder app. The, a, many of the ideas that were poured into the poem had actually been in my in my head for a very long time and the poem actually came out very quickly as it is on the page. It's also about having over the years been, been called a bad gay many times, <laughs> which is a phrase I'm still trying to understand. <laughs> it's about my experiences of being a bad gay in central Queensland in Rockhampton where I've lived. Uh, so I'll, I'll read the poem. Thank you. Right. How to be a good gay in a small town for Lee Backhouse. Install the one star black and yellow app. Gang up with John the Practice at Queen's Park park avenue don't be quick-witted snap orion's head off snuff the new moon's spark don't rant and rave the hunts of kodiak while cramming gulping bulbs with bitter meth or bumping cave and tits in zodiac don't spell out why john mustn't say macbeth inside the pill beam swill your beam and coax with equal swag get off on shots of butch high five each other Whack the butt of jokes. The fag who looks like old you, squeaking putch. Then stagger to the jagged light. Without a glint of camp, a hint of standing
1: out. So good. Thank you. Thank you. Certainly, uh, and that last line is such a, yeah, sums up a lot of experience uh, with that whole straight acting kind of, mm. yeah, wow.
2: Mm, mm. Absolutely. And, and, and that's been... um uh, that's that's been my experience of of a lot of gay guys who were born in central queensland and who've uh lived here their entire lives there's this belief that they have to act a certain way and that if hmm. you don't act that way then you're ostracized yeah um, yeah you, you're not allowed to be camp you're not allowed to you know uh talk about serious things like uh bear hunting in kodiak um for example and yeah there there is a club here called uh zodiac which is actually a strip club where um i know gay guys who go there uh, to sort of uh maintain the illusion of being straight
1: Um, oh wow yeah sounds exhausting yeah 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 now Stu, for some readers approaching poetry can feel a bit like wine in that they feel like they need assumed knowledge uh, before being able to partake. For example, to experience a poem, um, should it always be read aloud? What is your advice for those who might be afraid to try poetry or feel like there is a barrier or exclusion based on literary experience to date?
2: Yeah, thanks, Rob. This is a really interesting question. And yeah, you know, when, when you first asked this question, I, I went Sort of travelled back in time to my own experiences of poetry at, at, at middle school and high school and university, and, and which sort of brings me to my first point, which is I think I think high school, college, and university are, are regularly and either fairly un- or unfairly that's up for other that's for other people to decide, you know, uh, blamed for ruining poetry for people, um, and yeah. I think I, I think perhaps uh, it's important to forget. Those experience so uh, to arrive at reading poetry with no preconceived ideas, right? Um, in, in the same way that we might, if we haven't read a review about a novel, or if we've only read a small blurb about a collection of short stories, we are arriving at, at those two things with with perhaps not no preconceived ideas, but a small amount. So, you know, I, I'd ask readers to sort of come to poetry with an open mind. Uh, expanding on that to to be open minded to poetry's language which is very different to the language of the short story yeah. and the novel also and also to the language of of memoir uh and essay and other non fiction reading poetry knowing that there's no one interpretation And that there's no right or wrong interpretation right i think is is key i've met a number of people over the years who who have said i don't you know uh, i don't understand this poem and i'll I'll talk about understanding in a moment Mm. Uh, but they've also said you know oh my interpretation of that poem is is wrong so i'm giving up and I, I will always say to those people: there's no right or wrong way to understand a poem, nor is there one interpretation. Uh, as I find, there's no right or wrong way to interpret song lyrics, and I'll speak about song lyrics in a moment as well. I was just going to ask you that. So yeah, 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 right. yeah, jump, yeah, jump in, please.
1: Thinking when you were saying that, that yeah, I was wondering if that was because everyone obviously listens to music, has their favourite mm. song, and it means something to them, which mm. is quite deeply personal. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yes, that's right. I mean, and uh, as we know, you know, one, one song can have a completely different personal meaning to, to another person. While, while we're talking about songs, I, I actually, uh, I'd like to mention one song in particular, and mm. it's a song by The Cure who I will always talk about because... I love the cure. Um, The the song is Let's Go to Bed, which came out in 82. And uh, eight years after it was released, Robert Smith said of its lyrics, they're a nonsense set of words to complement what I then considered to be a hideous piece of commercial pap. (laughs) (laughs) That is brilliant. It is just, you know, it's a brilliant quote. And what Smith wanted to do, not only musically, but lyrically with Let's Go to Bed was... He said, you know, well, everybody is singing about let's go to bed and have sex, so I'm going to be really overt about it, but I'm also going to make it completely nonsensical. And I, I suppose my my question to to readers, uh, sorry, to, to readers and listeners uh, out there and to readers of poetry or people who might be new to poetry is is I think it's important to think about why we revere a song that. Uh, is comprised of a nonsense set of words, mm. but we fear a poem that is perceived to be comprised of a non set of words. You know, it, it's astonishing how, you know, Let's Go to Bed is one of the most well-known cures but it's not a particularly cohesive lyrically. And in the same way, a poem can be a let's go to bed so yeah. I, i'd encourage people to think of poems as uh as song lyrics and also encourage them to think of a poem as a song lyric but also to think of to think of a poem as something that we we don't have to understand entirely perhaps we can um perhaps we can just enjoy the poems moods and feelings and textures in the same way that we enjoy a song lyrics moods and and feelings and textures i know that songs Songs are different because they have music and the music, you know, melody is is an amazing thing. And, and with, with poetry, people might argue, well, there's no melody there, but there's, you know, poetry is actually quite musical and poetic forms such as the sonnet and the villanelle, the, the sonnet in Italian is little song.
1: So should it be listeners or readers say it out loud?
2: Yes, absolutely. I think, for example, when I'm, when I'm writing and editing my own poetry, I read it on the page, but I also read it aloud. And it's a, it's a wonderful way of picking up, well, first of all, any sort of uh, errors, but also the sound and the music of the poem. And reading a poem aloud, surprisingly, enables the poem to be better understood.
1: So is, as you're creating the poem, like that's what you're working with, that on the page, but also that when it is spoken, it has that other resonance like that's part of that dimension of that poem is that right that's right that's right um sylvia Plath once
2: said of her aerial poems which were uh, she published a collection aerial and uh she said you know if there's anything these poems have in common they're written for the uh for the eye and the ear yeah. and she read those poems aloud as she was writing those poems and there are wonderful recordings of many of the uh aerial poems Oh wow. um and and you hear the music in those poems. Yeah. And for me, poetry and music are inseparable in the same way that work and identity are inseparable. I, th- I think it's I think it's really important to read a poem multiple times. Yeah. And I think poems reveal their mysteries over days, weeks, months, and sometimes even years. You will get something new out of that poem. You know it, it this happens to me with poets I've been reading for decades. I'll have a yeah. An aha moment. But yes, I think reading, reading poetry aloud is, is really important. And it's fun too. You know, I mean, reading poetry shouldn't be laborious. It should be pleasurable. It should be fun. I hope it will be. I hope it can be for the people who are unfamiliar or perhaps reticent to, to jump into the, into the poetry pond.
1: So is it like, you know, with any, you know, the emotional connection is what they should be looking for. Like that's the most important. So, they've got a collection of poems, you know, they scroll through and then there might be one that that goes, oh, wow, you know, there's something about this. I don't know. Maybe they don't know what it is, but there's something that really resonates. Is that? Definitely, Um, yes. Uh, And
2: as you said, they may not immediately be aware of what of what that resonance is or, or what's caused that that particular uh, feeling or sensation. You know, the magical thing about poetry is that it or, or any writing is that it has caused that that feeling or sensation. And uh, I'd encourage readers who do experience that with that particular piece to to go back to that piece. I, I I'm not a fan of study and writing poetry is I didn't particularly enjoy university. I don't particularly enjoy studying, but I love learning and writing poetry. For me, is a way of learning many, many new things. Yeah, I, I think it's important to come back and sort of sit with that, that, those sensations or those feelings that, that, that poem has, has, uh, has aroused. And, um, you know, I, I don't think it's important to overanalyze or even necessarily analyze, but just be aware of, of how that, that's made you feel and, and be conscious of it. And, uh, that, that might be a way into other poems that seem, opaque as well you know when somebody has that sort of uh connection with that poem it might be a doorway to other poems that uh, were previously uh, opaque or impenetrable that's great uh, perhaps a final thought on how listeners can approach poetry and actually this this relates to your last question is to to think of poems perhaps as impressionistic not Realist, right. um, you know. I, I was looking at some impressionistic paintings recently, and I thought, if going to be um, depicted as a, if a poem would, would it be a painting? It would probably be an impressionistic painting. That's how I approach poetry. I, I look at it as a whole, but I also look at it as line by line, and then at each word in the line. Um, so that's that's another way that people can come to poetry as well. You know, there may be a line, or, or even not a line, but a phrase within a line in the whole poem that makes sense or resonates yeah but the whole thing doesn't and and that's okay yeah. uh, you know i i think um i think we have a tendency to be self critical if we don't understand something entirely and it's okay to not understand something entirely and i found with poetry uh, as i said before you know there are some poems that are still revealing their mysteries to me decades after i first read them i i, I know that that happens with um with other readers of poetry and with other poets, also, yeah.
1: Fantastic. So it's not a cryptic crossword. <laughs> no, no. I mean, no. unless you like cryptic crosswords. Unless then, you, you like know, cryptic it. crosswords, that is.
2: Yeah. Um, um. Might I read a poem, Rob? Which I might... would love.
1: I would love that. Absolutely. Thank
2: you. It, it it might also tie in with what we're talking about here. Sure. Um. I'll, I'll just give a, a brief background to this poem. It might help readers into not only this poem but. Other poems. This poem is called At Seven Mile Beach. It was written for a friend who died of AIDS-related illnesses. And he actually gifted me Timothy Conigrave's memoir, Holding the Man, about a year before he was diagnosed with AIDS. The particular form I've used to write the poem in is called a tritina. And the end words of each line are holding the man, which is the title of the Conigrave memoir. So there can be Clues in poems, which can also uh, expand understanding. So I'll I'll read the poem. So with a nod to Timothy Conagrave at Seven Mile Beach. At Seven Mile Beach, I walked between you and the sea, holding in one hand a piece of driftwood, in the other a loop of your blue jeans. A man studied us as if we were subhuman. God, I idolised your never holding back. Twenty-four years later, you packed the mourners in, but I couldn't control the body's salt and water. Superhuman holding off was my noted season. Holding on, holding on, yours, live protein.
1: Thank you very much. I, I, that was yeah one of my first favourites in in the collection, and just to hear you read it, that yeah incredible. Thank you, Thank Stuart. You. Because I didn't realise, um, so again, what we were just talking about, that that holding the man was within the poem, but now, mm. now that I know that, so that's, yeah, great new discovery.
2: Yes, and it's fun playing with those uh, what are called end words as well. So the first stanza, the first set of lines in the poem end with the words holding the man. In the next stanza, man becomes... Subhuman or subhuman and holding becomes never holding. In the third stanza, man becomes superhuman, superhuman. And in the last stanza, it becomes protean man. Uh, because this man was, he was a protean man. He was, yeah, he was capable of anything and he was, yeah, an amazing human being was very successful at anything he put his mind to. Yeah. So it, it, it's fun playing around with language. Yeah, and and that can also uh, open doors to understanding when we're reading poetry too. Uh, you know, uh, perceiving those patterns in words or punning wordplay yeah. can expand understanding of a poem.
1: And I I heard you mention on a podcast on Upswell, your publisher's website, uh, where you were talking about breaking words over lines or within a line. Mm. Uh, which features in in Light to the Lark. So fracture and brokenness and repair, which I loved. But can you please tell our listeners uh, more about that?
2: Sure. So I'll actually use at Seven Mile Beach as an example because there is a a word broken over the line and it's never holding back. Uh, Never holding ends one line and then back is on the other line so when you have that breaking over the line it it invites surprise into the poem into those lines and you don't know what to expect you don't know what's coming on the next line i find that is uh it's exciting not only to, to write a poem, it's fun to write a poem in that way, but it's also exciting to read a poem in that way because you can almost read two lines differently. Yeah. You read one line as it ends, but then you're also reading the next line as, as it begins. So, and, and a way of adding a bit of extra surprise in there is the, the phrase or, or the word group never holding back has hyphens between never holding and holding back. If you, I'm just mentioning this to sort of help with uh, listeners and readers, Mm. a a way of uh, increasing the surprise, I suppose, is not not having the hyphen at the end of the line, but having it at the beginning of the next line. So then it's almost as if never holding is the complete unit, Uh, but it's not until you start the next line that you realise never holding back is the complete unit there. I mean, poets use this breakage, uh, not only for surprise, but for resonance, uh, for emotional impact, for pause, reflection, that sort of answer.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I, certainly for myself. I love poetry, but I don't read it near enough. And uh, It's like for me going to the theatre, I, I always enjoy it when I'm there, but I don't get around. So to actually hear that and hear you speak about the intent behind how each line is and how you... um as a poet, work that in, so then the reader has that experience. I think is, yeah, it's remarkable.
2: Thank you. I mean, uh, there are also other ways. Um, there's another poem in the book called Sestina Love, where I actually break words and phrases over the line. It's it's in my poem, The Morning Fog, which I'll read if that's okay. Uh, but but the word that breaks over the line is inclined. So the line in particular ends with in, and then the new line begins with hyphen inclined so the phrase that leads up is even to rusty furrows it's in so in could be interpreted as you know cool or hip or fashionable and it's not until you read the next line that you actually know what the word is so the idea of of fracture and breakage and repair there is, you know, can can occur within a word as well, which invites, you know, even greater surprise into that, not only into that word, but the phrase and the poem building up around that.
1: Excellent. Would we be able to hear that poem, please? Yeah, sure.
2: Thank you, Rob. Thank you. The Morning Fog. The morning fog is sweetest at the Tropic of Capricorn, the colour of lemon chiffon cake and just as delicate. It might upspring with a wringing of hands. It might upspring with a single step. It's capable of taking itself to the streets. Unblighted by African tulip trees' jewels, the palms look as if they're about to take flight. Vehicle's steal appeals to the atmosphere. We too are aerial now. We needn't be momentarily. Where does it end? Where does it upspring? This enlightening thing unfurling its whirls. Even to rusty furrows it's inclined to breathe. Subtleties emerge as if soaked in developer, but slower. Though we look before and after and pine for what is not, we alight on the eye of Horsefield's bushlark, widening to wee, its rites of day and nighttime melody and mimicry. And I ask you crave nothing save the song and wing-heeled being
1: as brightness wheels around them. Fantastic. <laughs> it's just yeah, <laughs> that's beautiful. Thank you very, very much. And now we have Joe from Blarney Books and Art and Port Ferry. Hi Joe. Happy New Year. Hello, Rob. Happy New Year to you
3: too. And so what book do you have for us? today joe today i've got this wonderful book it's iris by fiona kelly mcgregor it's ostensibly about a real world figure called iris webber but she's fictionalized it and made this wonderful story about 1930s sydney in the sly grog era and it's full of prostitutes and thieves and scammers
1: fantastic and so
3: what is it literary fiction Uh, i guess you'd call it literary fiction but it's also historical fiction um there's known Sydney underworld figures in there like Tilly Devine and Kate Lee. There's a lot of really, really super strong women in this book. And they're amazing women. You know, they're running brothels and organized crime. But there's there's also one of the first police detectives in Sydney, uh, Lillian Armfield, who's like the nemesis of the organized crime bosses. So there's lots and lots of strong women in here. And there's women who love women in here but don't know how to express
1: it who do you think it would appeal to Um, readers all readers um, readers of historical fiction
3: yeah this this would appeal to a lot of people um yeah i i can't see (laughs) couldn't knock anyone out it's got everything it's got action and adventure and incredible people and history thrown in. as you're reading it did
1: you yourself recognize some of the historical uh, events that were going on at that time
3: uh be- well because it's 1930s sydney i don't i haven't known much about that era so it was really interesting to read about it and to hear about what was legal and what wasn't and people could get picked up for cross-dressing it, it might not have been an illegal crime as such they picked people up for vagrancy and things and there's a lot of male violence in it as well it's a, a really violent world that everyone's involved in um so the women who run the brothels have a m- a fella who kind of looks out for them. They're all accountable to someone or to some man in the background. Right. And the men are often violent and horrible and Iris herself is in trouble for A, shooting her husband and B, uh, she's currently charged with the murder of another man. And so all this comes up in the novel. There's the police examination going on as well. Almost crime as well. So, I mean, it is crime.
1: That sounds excellent. So the name of it again? Is Iris by
3: Fiona Kelly McGregor. She's an Australian author. She's written some amazing works in the past. She's got a a wonderful collection of essays buried not dead which has a lot of stuff in it about queer culture and art great well thank you very much joe and we will talk to you next episode my pleasure thanks for asking rob
1: just wanted to segue i don't know if it is the right word uh but well, i wanted to ask you what is your hope for Like to the Lark being out in the water. So that's coming out beginning of February, 2023. Mm. well. Yes, yes. Can't wait. Yeah. Excited, slightly nervous. <laughs>
2: Very excited. Thank you. Well, I hope it will appeal to lovers of poetic forms. There are, I mean, the book is 99% forms, established forms and forms that I've invented. I also hope it will be a doorway to poetic forms for people who aren't lovers, of poetic form. I hope it will speak to and support LGBTIQA plus people who've experienced sexual violence and people who've lost loved ones to AIDS-related illnesses as well. I hope it'll resonate with readers who find beauty, joy and wonder in the simple things, such as coffee grounds or a garden or the moon. When I was rereading the book, Uh, and selecting some poems for the podcast. I reread a poem, The Immortal Jellyfish, from the collection, and one hope is that readers will see that the smallest of things, The Immortal Jellyfish, is around four millimetres. I hope readers will see that the smallest of things can have a powerful voice and that the loneliest of things, such as the 52 Hertz whale, and there's a poem about the 52 Hertz whale, which is a -a one-of-a-kind whale that we know of, can find company. Lastly, I hope people find the book hopeful and enjoyable and that they see that these poems some of them which are about trauma are more about transmuting that trauma than uh, not moving through that trauma and i hope people have have fun have as much fun reading the poems as as i had writing them i think we always want our, our work to uh, You you may feel this as well uh experience this as well we always want our work to connect and resonate with readers
1: absolutely excellent hopes and i'm sure it will do all of that and more and yeah i think it's such a brilliant contribution i can't wait to see it out there in the world connecting to its readers yeah like i say for me it's one that i'll continually dip in and out of for the rest of my life so yeah
2: thank um, you that no, that, no, really, that really means a lot thanks for yeah. that.
1: Absolutely. No, I think it's a wonderful thing. So a question we ask all our guests is a writing question, Mm -hmm. um, which is around any advice or top tips for aspiring writers and poets. Sure. This first bit
2: of advice has probably been mentioned again and again and again, but I'm going to mention it again. And that is read, 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 read. It's vital if, if you Want to be a writer? I don't believe you can be a writer without reading and without reading a lot more than you actually write and reading a variety, reading poetry, fiction, non-fiction. I think that's uh, vital. I I think also allowing yourself to daydream, to be curious and to be adventurous, really important, not only in your personal life but also in your writing. Walking is extraordinary. Uh, Like Virginia Woolf, I like to have space to spread my mind out in and the chemical reactions that happen when we walk uh, I mean sometimes I can even walk from my desk to the kitchen to get a banana and and the word that I've been you know trying to find for the last you know for for a half hour will just fall fall into my head as if from nowhere so uh but I, I I I try to walk every day and, uh, I find that's, you know, it sort of switches off my conscious mind and allows that subconscious creative to really come through. Write a lot. Write what you want to write. Pay no attention to fads. Know that your work will reach its readers and be patient with that. Accept rejection. It's a huge part of this craft. There's a lot more rejection than there is acceptance. I don't really like. the the language we use around writing, acceptance, and rejection. And I actually talk with friends about, you know, that language as well. If we're talking about, well, not only poetry, any form, break the rules and make up your own rules, you know? A memoir doesn't have to be written in one particular way. And we're seeing many more hybrid forms of writing. And, And, you know, I think that's absolutely fantastic. Be generous, share others' work with friends and family and online. And share your own work also. You know, I think there's a a wonderful balance there of sharing others' work as well as your own. And, you know, be receptive to feedback about your work and try to develop a a thick skin. I I don't think we can always have a thick skin, um, but I think it's a healthy thing to try to aim for. Some other things that I think are really helpful are to be a part of the writing community and ways of doing it are. Joining writers groups, joining writers centers, going to readings and volunteering at festivals, volunteering as, uh, as readers for journals, you know, as fiction or poetry readers, and also finally connect with writers online. There are really wonderful communities. There are really wonderful people and writers such as yourself who, uh, you know, I've admired for a long time and who really support the community by doing Podcasts such as this, but not only, not only this, but also, but just uh, through connecting with people and and supporting each other's work. And, uh, I see a lot of that in Australian and international writing, also establishing, you know, if it's, if people feel COVID safe doing so, connecting in person as well.
1: That is fantastic. And thank you, Stu, for all your, uh, friendship online. Uh, it's been a couple of years now and, absolutely everything you say there and for emerging writers um, yeah building that community because it's going to be there to support you in good times and bad um, I think is so important and Thank you for your masterclass. Uh, (laughs) This has been fantastic. Absolutely, I've learned so much, and I think thank you for being so generous with your knowledge and advice. Um, Oh well,
2: thank you, Rob. I mean, it's it's my first masterclass, actually. So (laughs) there you go. I uh, I I hope I hope listeners will be able to get at least one thing from it anyway <laughs> oh,
1: more than one thing no it's brilliant and to to hear hear you read your own work as well is truly special so thank you thank you now, now on the show we have a shout out question uh, yeah. so firstly how can listeners connect with you on socials uh do you have any book events you wanted to mention um, with your book coming out uh, i'll put these up on show notes. Wonderful. Thank you. Uh, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram.
2: I also have a website, uh, stuartabarnes.com. There will be events for like to the lark, like, uh, this year. I'm planning one in, one in Brisbane, one in Sydney and one in Melbourne. And I would love to get over to Perth where Upswell publishing is based and be able to have a launch with Terry Ann White. That would be
1: brilliant. Fantastic. So we, so if, if, our listeners, keep an eye on your website and on your socials. They'll be able to see when you're coming. And yeah. Definitely. definitely.
2: Nothing ready. nothing in place at the moment regarding yep. dates. Yeah, um, sure. Try, trying to sort those out at the, at the moment.
1: Excellent. And would you like to shout out any LGBTIQA plus artists, books, shows, organisations, social media accounts?
2: I would. Thank you. So I'll start with some writers. Yeah. Uh, so mostly poets, although some of these poets write other Write in other forms also, uh, but Benjamin Dodds, Nigel Featherstone, Natalie Harkin, Alison Whitaker, Yvette Holt, Shastra Dio, Gavin Ewan gao Kate Lilly, Dan Hogan, Pam Brown, Ray White, Jill Jones, Andrew Sutherland, Willow Drummond, Scott Patrick Mitchell, Jared Brunstroop, Anna Jacobson, Beck Jessen, Zen Frost or Carl. Composer Nick Wales, uh, I, I love Nick's work. Some books that I uh, would love to shout out, uh, uh, this one came out a number of years ago. It's called Out of the Box Contemporary Australian Gay and Lesbian Poets. It was edited by Jill Jones and Michael Farrell. It was going postal more than yes or no about the Marriage Equality Survey and uh, poetic and non-poetic responses to that, edited by Quinn Eads and Sun Vivian. There's Growing Up Queer in Australia, edited by Benjamin Law. And most recently is 100 Queer Poems, an anthology uh, edit by, edited by UK writers Andrew McMillan and Mary Jean Chan, which encompasses poets from around the world. There are some foundations and social media accounts. If there's time to yeah, mention those, absolutely. Yeah, yes. Um Well, I'd, I'd actually love to mention two films. One is the Australian film The Sum of Us, which I rewatched recently, and another is the British film God's Own Country. They're both uh, beautiful films, amazing love stories, terrific script. On Instagram, there's the LGBTQ Domestic Violence Awareness Foundation, uh, Mars, which is men affected by rape and sexual abuse Australia, which isn't specifically for queer men, but it's it's made abundantly clear that that is a is a resource for uh, for gay and bi men. There's the AIDS Memorial, uh, which every day posts. A photograph and uh, a story of somebody who died of age-related illnesses uh, and i think it's still it's so important that we yeah. uh, remember those people and those voices there's queer stories uh books and broth and there's some bookstores uh hares and hyenas yeah. in melbourne the bookshop darlinghurst and uh, avid reader bookshop in brisbane which isn't specifically a queer bookstore but which you know has had queer um writers and staff working there and is you know get, really gets behind and supports lgbtq uh, writers
1: fantastic i think it's one of the best shout out question responses we've had so far so awesome. no that's it, that's wonderful thank you and and as i mentioned we'll have all of those um, and links in our show notes for people to discover. So thank you, Stu. Thank you, thanks. And our closing question for you, yeah. Stuart Barnes, is what is your hope for the LGBTIQA plus communities? Sure, thanks, Rob. I hope these communities can be much kinder to each other
2: and I hope that non-LGBTIQA plus communities can be kinder to them I think i'm a realist i think some people will always cling to repugnant doctrines um but my very strong hope very very strong hope is is that lgbtiqa plus people can live and love without fear of violence and or worse i don't believe in any god but i do pray that that can and will change
1: beautiful Thank yeah. you very, very much, Thank Stuart you. Barnes, for being on the podcast. And Stu's book, uh, Like to the Lark, is published by Upswell and out February 2023. Thanks again, Stuart.
2: Thank you, Rob. It's been absolutely wonderful speaking with you.
1: Please check out our show notes on Words and Nerds, Blarney Books and Art, and rwrmcdonald.com for links reviews and the interview transcript until next time this is qws podcast